and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hey, hey, superstars, welcome back for another week of Challenges That Change Us. I hope you're having a fabulous week and remembering to prioritize the things that matter the most to you. If you haven't stopped lately to think about this, just maybe take a few moments before listening to this episode and check in what and who is important to you and are you prioritizing those things and those people in your world right now. But on to today's episode, I would love to introduce you to Lockie Cameron. This man is seriously on a mission. In May this year, he will be attempting the fastest known time to run from Brisbane to Sydney. That's about a thousand Ks on the road, raising money for a mental health charity while showing others the massive reservoir of potential that we all have inside us. We spend the second half of this episode chatting through Lockie's running journey and the challenges that he faced throughout these last couple of years, but that is not why I invited him on and we will spend the first half of this episode just chatting about what life looked like before Lockie became a runner, what it felt like for him wearing a mask every single day where he felt like he had to show up for other people all the time. He had this huge desire to impress and the need to be liked. And this had a massive impact on his self-worth and how he saw himself and loved himself. He constantly told himself he wasn't good enough. We explore the times that it was really hard for him to get out of bed and that he ended up in hospital not wanting to be here anymore. He felt like he was living a double life. If anything in this episode today is distressing for you, please talk to someone in your world or Lifeline is here to listen on 13 11 14. So let me introduce you to the man himself and you can hear for yourself how running has literally changed his life forever. Welcome Lockie to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you for coming on Friday afternoon. So good. Here's the weekend. How good? Yeah. Lucky, I love to start every episode with asking our guests what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal in particular? Uh, I've given this one a bit of thought and for me the first thing was probably Labrador. You know, he's got a big smile on his face and, hey, look, he might shit on the rug but he's yours and you love him. But for me, definitely who I am now, it's probably, I don't know if this counts because mythological, but a phoenix because the person I am now and the person I've risen from the ashes of is is really I can't put into words how proud of myself I am and that's just probably the best way I can personify myself now as a phoenix. That's what we're going to have a chat about today. Before we jumped on the pod, I was saying that I used to do a heap of research about the guests and now I try and do very little. It's always a bit nerve-wracking because I come in and think, "Mm, I wonder what we're going to be talking about today. But, Lockie, I guess the best place for us to start would be just to go back to the beginning, you know, like what, because I know you've described that where you are now isn't where you've been and there's been quite a journey that's gotten you to where you are today. So do you want to take us back to the start? Yeah, I think the start was humble beginnings in Camden in rural Western Sydney. And I think it was just a normal childhood. Now I had two loving parents, but then I think like most of us, I'd say 50% of relationships go and divorce and my parents separated. And 
I had an attachment to my biological father and I think that led to me that even when my stepdad Mick came into my life, I still uh, wanted to have a like a relationship with him, which I think is normal, but he was just, he's not a perfect person. And, you know, our relationship was definitely back and forth at very best. And he had a lot of things going on. And I guess for me, I wasn't really high priority for him. And, you know, as a little kid, you can remember all the, like the happy moments, but you really remember the moments when a parent's not there for you. And, you know, it's something like that, like it can just really affect you and it just really lowers your confidence levels. And you just believe that, you know, obviously it's incorrect, but if you believe a parent's not turning up, it's something that you've done wrong. And sort of just going through my younger years into adolescent years, I just never really believed that I was worthy of love or was worthy of people's love because of that. And, you know, like even though I had these these two rocks in my mom and my stepdad and they gave me everything I could need, there was just this massive hole there and I was never really able to fill it. Did you find that you tried different ways to fill it, like through your teenage years? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I would do is, is masking and I would just change my personality. So I, I just believed that I wasn't enough. So if I was in a room with 10 different people, you'd get 10 different versions of me tailored to every single person's needs and I would just change myself because that's what they needed me to be and there's no way they'd want to be friends with the person that I was. So you're just constantly changing who you are and then but the thing is you're just reinforcing to yourself that you're not good enough and day by day by day you're just constantly chipping away at yourself and then yeah, it just gets to a point where you just completely shattered your self-worth and it's really hard to come back from that. And did you know that at the time or is this all on reflection now? Oh, definitely all on reflection. Like it was just my default mechanism. That's what I had to do. That's how I was coping. That's what I was doing to get people to like me because I, I just needed that. I needed people to like me so badly. But the problem is when, you know, everyone else is your friend, you're your own worst enemy, you need to always look after yourself first. And it's not someone's fault if they don't like you. Like that's that's the biggest thing. It was like an epiphany moment for me when in my maybe late 20s as I've sort of turned my life around is that we're all such different people and if everyone in the world was the same it'd be a very boring place we need to have our little niches and we need to be different but I just needed everyone to like me and that sort of gave me some amount of confidence but it's just a very dangerous way to live your life. And you said when you were able to turn your life around and that it was a dangerous way to live your life do you want to paint a picture of of what that looked like and where it ended up? Yeah, for sure. Like going into adolescent years, especially, you know, a guy in 18, like a young male in Australia, I think it's very personified to be, to enjoy a drink with your mates. But I was definitely the guy that was very quick to take one too many and would look around the room and who who do I need to impress and what do I need to do to impress people? Because it was just, again, me vying for people's attention because I just didn't believe that what I was bringing to the table was enough. And, you know, you think it's fine because everyone's laughing and it's all that. But in the inside, again, you're just eroding that you and yourself are good enough. And then that just led to a slippery slope of me needing to patch up the gunshot wounds that I had inside with drugs and alcohol. And then just it's very hard to come back from that. Where did that road lead you? So it's a hard one. I wouldn't really say like an addiction, but it was just a massive dependence. When I was finally able to see the light and realize that I was good enough and start doing positive change, I cut all these things out without withdrawal symptoms, but... I was so dependent on them to get through every day because I just wanted to be numb to the world. But it wasn't, like I said, once I was finally able to see the light and, and want to bring positive change to the world, I was able to cut those things out very luckily. Like some people aren't able to and those once those things get their grips in you, it's very hard to release them. Did something happen for you to create that change? I was with a girl for seven years and she was a really amazing girl and we had a lot of great times together. But, you know, she stuck around for a long time because you know I wasn't the worst person in the world but 
I definitely just left a lot on the table all the time. And I constantly just, I could have been better all the time and I would let myself down. And then you're also letting her down. And then we were about six months away from buying a house and getting engaged. And then she, she dumped me, she couldn't handle it anymore. And it was just sort of that moment, like in, I've had a lot of dark moments in my life, but I talk about crutches and levers. And I think that there's a massive difference. Like a lever can hold you when necessary, but a lever also wants to alleviate you and push you up. Whereas for me, I didn't use people like that. I used them as a crutch. Whenever I had done something wrong or needed to be held, I had lent on someone, but there was never any chance that I was going to alleviate myself from those people. And all the negative things that happened in my life, I would find someone and then say, oh, it's not my fault. These are X, Y, and Z, the reason these things are happening. But if you constantly can find excuses why all these things are happening in your life, why do you ever need to change? And I just never did. And it wasn't until everything had gone and the house of cards had fallen over and I had to look myself in the mirror and say, is this where you want to go in your life? Like you always tell yourself that you're a good person, but look at what you're actually doing and looking where you're heading. And if you want to keep doing that, that's fine. But you've always told yourself that you're better than this. And you know, you talk about going at a 180 or just turning your life around. I think it was more of like a 45, like you're still moving forward, but I just have to change the tangent of the path that my life was on. And when you say you had to look at yourself in the mirror, was that like a literally stand there and look in the mirror moment? Or was it a someone tap you on the shoulder and be like, mate, you got to have a look in the mirror? No, it was, for me, it, I I needed to do it on my own. Like from a, It's a hard to admit to people, but from a young age, I truly believed I was going to do something great in the world. I, I really, really believed it, but I never earned that. Like those things are not given, that's earned. You've, you've got to work for that. That's not just going to fall in your lap. But I never, ever put in the work to earn that belief. And yeah, it wasn't until everyone else is gone and I had to look myself in the mirror. And just, it was as simple as that. I was just looking myself and I've always been you know, a skinnyish guy and I was just white and pasty and just gross and I had nothing in my life was sort of crumbling. And I just realized that I'm better than this, but you've got to put in the work and earn it you know, it's not just going to fall in your lap, but how do you want to go about turning this around when, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you can just fall off the edge and just keep feeling sorry for yourself because that's a nice warm blanket. I want to ask you about how you turned around, but before we go there, when you say fall off the edge, what would falling off the edge look like? Like I was talked about with crutches, like for me, the moment I turned around was when everyone left, but, you know, I've had a few times where I've been you know, very close to taking my own life, but there was one night where I had to get someone and I truly believe that if someone didn't take me that I would have taken my own life and you know, I end up in a white room and they take everything off you and your shoelaces even and I sat in there for 12 hours and then I had to at two o'clock in the morning whatever it was my parents came in and you know you got to see your mum there and she's trying to reconcile from this happy-go-lucky always laughing kid who has never really been truthful with her of all the pain that he's hidden inside and she's sitting there like through the glass seeing this and you know, I, I really feel for her because that would have been really tough. And then even after that, though, I didn't change. You know, I was sitting in there and it just shows how much pain I was willing to go through and still not change from it. And like I said, it's because I had things to lean on. And did you just say that you hadn't let her in on that? Like, do you feel like it would have been a shock for her in that moment to know that you were there? Yeah, I, I told her little things about how I was feeling, but to something to that extent would have been a massive shock for her for sure because I was just very, very good at masking and I hadn't really let many people know about it to be honest because I was I was very afraid of people to see what was inside because at the best of times I didn't think people would want me. So why would they want me if I'm broken and there's something wrong with me because that's a belief I had which is just so silly but just how I felt at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you said you called a friend that night, did you say? Yeah, I was I was out with some friends and, yeah, I just said, look, I need you to take me to hospital, otherwise I know I'm going to do this. Like I've been, if you picture it, as I explained to people, it's like a 10-step ladder. I've been at step nine a lot of times, but this, this was different. I know that it was just a different state of mind and I really believe I would have done it and I'm just very thankful that, I was able to help someone get me there and, you know, make that decision rather than a decision I know I would have regretted. Yeah, and it's so often in that moment, isn't it? Like there's a moment of time that if you have the capacity to reach out and say, I need help right now, things can take a different direction. But if For sure. if there's no one to reach out to or you don't have the capacity to make the call or to ask someone, I think that's when we lose so many people in this country. Yeah, definitely. Well, way too many people, but it's just understandable. And the thing is, you, you know, people talk about it and people who've never really dealt with mental health issues, they say that, you know, that's so selfish. How could they do that to their family? And look, from an outside looking in from someone who's never dealt with mental health, I can kind of understand what they're trying to say, but I promise you they've never dealt with it. They've never sat a day in that person's shoes and realized that those people are fighting this battle where it's not like a flu where you, maybe you're sick for six weeks. Every second of every day, you're fighting because you truly don't believe that you're worth being anymore and you think you're a burden to most people. And that's what I want people to understand. Like Those people are fighting every single day still to be here and it's not selfish at all. It's the hardest battle for people to be going through that and they need so much help, but you need to also want to help yourself. And like you said, reach out to people, even if it's not at crisis point, even if it's just at the start, if you notice little things that are just different, just reach out to people. The biggest thing I think is that we make all these scenarios up in our head and they're 10 times worse than whatever like the outcome's going to be. But without the clarity, without talking to someone about it, you can just perpetuate this thing and make it so much worse. And you mentioned perhaps if you start to notice the little things. Looking back now, what were the little things that people may or could have noticed, do you think, for you? Probably like anxiety levels, like just being very heightened and, and very stressed and just different anxiety key warners. And probably just... I think for me now, looking back at it, if I look at most guys who were doing the different things I was doing in terms of excessive drug and alcohol use and being that sort of showboat, it's like anything in life. The reason most people are beating their chest is because inside they don't want people to realize that they're not the gorilla whatsoever. You know, that's how it goes for most people. And that for me now is what I look for in people, something like it's just a drastic change in sort of who their personality is. And if they're portraying this image then it's generally not who they're actually feeling on the inside at all. What would you say for you when you think back through those times was the hardest part? For me, it was that I felt like I was crazy. I felt like I was going crazy. Like I already felt like I wasn't good enough for everyone. And then I just felt like I was going insane. Like it was just hard to get up every single day. And a lot of days I would just feel completely numb and I had to write in a journal that my psychiatrist recommended me doing. And Looking back at some of the things I had to write, like it's, you know, I eventually burned the journal and she, like once we sort of worked through it all, but some of the things I would write in every day was just, just really, really sad to look back on. Like I was just saying how numb I felt every day and just, I can't do this anymore. Like, but a lot of it was from this masking. I was fighting such a battle, but no one really knew what I was going on. So you're putting on this smile and happy girl liking persona, but you get home and you're pretty much in tears because you, you're just leading this double life. And it was just very challenging. And, you know, I'm so thankful that I'm passed through that, but I really just want to owe the rest of my life to helping people who are in those similar situations and just knowing that you don't have to put that mask on anymore and there's nothing wrong with you. You are not crazy. There's so many people that go through these things and if you look at someone who's sharing their raw and honest story and you say, hey, like they look just like me, there's nothing wrong with me at all. Like, Look at this person, look what they've been through and look where they are now and 
we are all worthy. And I think for me, I just stopped loving myself. And I know to this day, I'll never stop loving myself again. And whether that comes down to running or just want to be better or helping people, I'll just will never stop loving who I am because I'm, I'm worth it and I'm good enough. And it doesn't happen overnight, you know. As you said, there was a moment that you kind of had a really honest conversation with yourself. When I'm listening to your story, it wasn't necessarily the moments that you were in hospital by the sounds of it. It was the moment that you looked around and then nothing was there. Yeah. Knowing that, finding that point in time and knowing what to do is very, very different. So what happened for you once you'd had that conversation with yourself? I was just lucky in that. I made a realization to myself that I just purely wanted to be better. And it was about being better than anyone else because that was my problem my whole life. I constantly wanted to be who everyone else wanted to be. And I, I, I was trying to be someone else. I was just trying to be anything by myself because I just didn't realize and didn't believe I was good enough. But I sat myself down and, and had this honest chat with myself and just decided that I didn't have to do something massive. I didn't have to do this massive shift in my life right now because that would have been too much. I wouldn't have been able to do it. And it just would have been too much of a change in my life and I, I don't think I would have stuck to it. But you know, I just had to incrementally start to want to be better than myself every day. And it's just a pact I made to myself. And it was just simple, as simple as trying to get more sleep every night and not drinking as much alcohol, not doing any more drugs, starting to drink a lot more water and then starting to exercise. And then that's where running came into my life and it was during the COVID period and I couldn't obviously go to the gym, so I just started doing running. And although I may look like a runner, dear Lord, those 5Ks were, well, whatever they were, were very brutal. There was a lot of lot of running up hills that was running at best and a lot of throwing up. And, you know, I did it purely to try and help my physical fitness and my physical body. And it's funny looking back on it because I did these little things to help turn my life around, which, you know, looking back on it seems really naive, but it completely changed my life. And Obviously, there's a massive physical element to it and I'm in the best shape of my life, but it's just the amount that it changed my mind every day because it was just as simple as I went out every day or whenever I was running and I was doing it for me. I'm not doing that for anyone else in the world. No one gives a shit if I'm going for a run at four o'clock in the morning, but I know. I know that I'm doing this little bit of positivity for me and they just snowballed from there like once I was able to keep because I, I never ever could hold up for myself for maybe more than a couple of weeks like previously in my life I could hold out for a little bit but then if someone could get in my ear and twist my arm and I had the biggest rubber arm you've ever met and I would let myself down and it's, it's very hard to come back from that when you have a really low self-worth and then you're doing negative things that affects yourself and then it's just this cycle and how do you break it and I, I really couldn't and yeah running was just this this thing where I was just constantly like, hey like look at all these things I'm constantly doing just for me you know no one else out there seeing it and that's where I was really able to just, like I said, snowball and just sort of turn my life around. So you, you mentioned sleep and exercise. Were there other things that you put in that space over time? Yeah, like I sleep, I would always go to bed at like midnight. I'd be watching TV shows and be on my phone 24-7 and just doing pretty much everything you can think of negative to your physical and mental health. And, yeah, just start off just to make sure I was just trying to go to bed a bit earlier and trying to drink less alcohol. But going to bed a bit earlier, like, look, it's so easy for us to say to ourselves, let's just go to bed a bit. I cannot tell you how many times I hear clients say that to me. They're like, I'm just going to go to bed earlier. But they find it really hard because they've got these habits that they have or these stories that we have. in. We all have them inside our head or these excuses that we allow for ourselves or, you know, we don't show up for ourselves in that moment. It's too hard. We're too tired. It sounds like you were able just to make a decision and go with it. Or did you have to actually put things in place to go to bed earlier? 
No, I think like doing the exercise definitely helped. Like I was never really doing much exercise. It'd be come home, drink a bunch of beers and then watch TV and go to bed at 11 o'clock. And like I said, I think the biggest thing for me and one thing I really try and tell people is just do these things incrementally. Don't try and dump all these things into your life because it's just too much. And we we are so used to this warm blanket around us of this comfort zone and that we all live in it. Like we live in a world these days where you don't have to get off the couch really and you get food and water delivered to you. It's just very easy to not want to change who you are. But I just did it slowly and just little things. And I didn't go and try and run half marathons at the start. I was just running whatever I was able to do. And it was never supposed to be this amazing feat. It was just a little bit of positivity. And like I said, it just worked off you know, the sleep and just trying to drink more water and then the exercise and just from there you're able to to just grow and be better but if you i just believe if you try and do all these things at once when your lifestyle is so different you're not going to do it and you just fall back into bad habits were there moments that you got wobbly in the beginning or moments that you backtracked and what did you do in those moments yeah there were definitely moments where i would backtrack and you know still drink quite heavily and still do drugs occasionally and i think for me you know i'm not really sure what to put it down to but i was just lucky that running never left well, those other things were sort of around running, it never left me. And I was always like, even if I was really hungover, I'm like, oh, well, you got to go run. And I think it was just this continued positivity and me just proving myself right. And it was just addictive for me. And I, I couldn't stop doing it. And although I'd let myself down in other situations, like I said, a rubber arm if I'm out with the boys, I couldn't stop that. But I would always, I made a pact with myself that I wanted to be better. And with running, I had that. I had that outlet for growth and change in my life. And I just kept doing that and kept doing it and kept doing it, whatever it was. And then now it's got to a stage where running is such a huge part of my life that those other things greatly affect it. And, you know, I believe commitment is tied to relationships and that makes a lot of sense. But to me, commitment is 24 hours in each day and whatever you're going to put the most amount of your time to, that's what you're really committed to. Like that's what really means a lot to you. And for me, that's that's running because of how much it's just completely changed me. And you know, running's not for everyone. It's it's completely different for most people. Some people like to do different forms of exercise and I'm not saying you have to do it. But for me, the change it's produced in my life is something that I, I can't, you know, it just feels like a cheat code, to be honest. Purpose and hope and clarity are the key to a fulfilling experience of life. Without them, being resilient when times are tough is really hard. It feels like stumbling in the dark without a clear direction. It feels like not knowing where to start with self-care. For you, it might feel like waking up with anxiety every day in your life or feel like you're on your elbows and knees, head in your hands overwhelmed, but it doesn't have to feel like that. Imagine knowing how to tackle life's challenges, whether big or small. Imagine knowing how to identify early warning signs of anxiety and take the necessary steps for self-support. Imagine knowing how to move forwards with purpose and clarity in your life. This is all possible. You can get access and apply the skills to be 100% more confident and more resilient in yourself in just six weeks. See, we ran this course a little while back with an overwhelming positive response. So we've taken the best bits and put it all together into a six-week go-at-your-own-pace surviving to thriving resilience course. Start today and over the next six weeks, we'll dive into the essential tools, strategies, and resilient mindset required to construct a stronger, more resilient you. The beauty of all of that is that you can navigate this journey at your own rhythm and on your own schedule. 
every week, you'll be provided with a video module, a comprehensive workbook, equipping you with the necessary tools and guidance to embark on the path towards ultimate resilience. You'll walk away with confidence, with clarity, with a toolbox of skills and resources to use for the rest of your life. It is time to invest in your future. It is time to invest in yourself. All you need to do is click on the link in the show notes and feel 100% more confident and resilient in just six weeks. And let's just talk about running for a moment. My background is in fitness as well. So I do love to hear people's running stories and how they went from zero to one and then zero to five. So often I hear people just go out and they run seven days a week and then they get an injury or they like, you know, what did it look like for you? There was a lot of really brutal 5Ks where I'm just like, and then it's weird, like change isn't linear, growth's not linear and I would get better and I'm like, oh, I can almost start running every 5K and then bang, it hits you. And then I'm walking again in the middle and the Ks are going out wide out and that's the biggest thing I try and tell a lot of new runners is completely disregard the big pace. It is not about that. If you want to sit when you're your first step and you're comparing that to someone two million step, you're always going to feel like shit and you're not validating the work that you're trying to do. Running for me is like I'm never going to be a 230 marathoner or a run a super fast 5K and to be honest, I couldn't give a shit because for me, it's about trying to be better than myself and that's what I tell people. Don't go, oh, look at his Strava. He's not like I'm not as fast as him or her. Who cares about that? Look at this positivity I've tried to do for myself every time I'm going for a run or whatever it is. And we'd never question, if we watch someone make a chocolate cake and someone make a cheesecake, we'd never be like, why do those cakes look different, right? Yeah. But we watch someone run and we've never asked the question of how often do they run? How long have they been running for? What other kind of training do they do? What's happening inside their head? Who have they got in their corner? Like all of these things, all we do is look across and be like, well, they can run 5Ks. Why can't I do that? Well, they just took 30 seconds off their time. I wonder what they did. And if I do that, then I'm going to be able to take 30 seconds off my time. Yeah. And it's just a spiral though. And the thing is what I try and tell people that I just think it's it's very negative on both ends of the scale. Like when you first get into something, if you want to compare yourself to someone else, then like comparison is just the thief of joy because there's always going to be someone better than you, right? But once you get to the upper echelon, why would you want to be better than someone else? Yourself could be better than anyone who has ever been. Yeah, obviously you want to strive for greatness, but why can't you, like when you get to the upper echelon of things, why can't you be the best? And I think that just comes from wanting to be better than yourself and working harder and harder than you can. And that's what I should have come down to. And like I said, on both ends of the scale, I think comparing is just really negative for people. And with your running, what are your highlights now? Like how long have you been running for and what are the moments that you're like, that was pretty cool? So I started running the back end of 2021. So Never, like I played rugby and like for me, like I played on the wing because I'm not going to go on a scrum, not not this head. And I was also just not very good. So that's why they stick someone out in the wing and hope I catch the ball and hope for the best, right? So that was a bit of fun. Sorry to all the wingers out there. <laughs> yeah, sorry to all the wingers, but a lot of them do look like me. So let's be honest. <laughs> but I hated running. I hated it at training. I was just never really that good at it. And I, I just, I really hated it. And yeah, so I unfortunately had to, had to get into it in 2021 because the gyms were closed and just caught the bug really badly. And then I went from that. And then I think within a year, I did a 100K ultra after never running. That one was was just a, a massive whirlwind. Like your first ultra within the first few days, you're supposed to really try and rein in all the physical and mental stress. And I think I probably had the worst amount of mental stress you can ever have in your life. Like me and my grandfather, we were we had a really close relationship and he sadly passed away six hours before 
my race. We found out three days before we were supposed to fly to Western Australia, me and my mum, that he was he was going and we had to go up and say goodbye. And so we raced up there and uh, it was a really special moment for me. Like he, as a little kid, he would always read me these books called Value Tales. And when he, he got dementia in his later years, I, uh, I made up a book called Value Tales, uh, the value of being a grandfather and just Aww. talked about the things that he did for me and those photos of us and just how much everything meant to him. And I wanted my grandma to read it to him anytime he couldn't remember. And it was just a sort of a hope that he would, you know, bring his memory back. And um, it's something that's really special. And I try and tell people, most people don't believe, like the last thing we ever did together is I held his hand and I read this book back to him. And it was just like this beautiful moment that we got to have. And, and it just meant so much to me. My grandma gave me one of his singlets from when he was in the dementia ward, which had his name on it. And I found out like six hours before my race that he passed away and, you know, it was mixed emotions, but I knew like he was just so proud of everything I did and we had such a special connection and I knew he'd want me to do it. I knew that he was going to be with me and you now I got into it and everything was going really well and then it's about 30 kilometers in, every, the wheels fell off. My knees started going, everything's hurting. I was like, oh God, what do you mean? No. And it started raining and it was just like a moment from a movie. I, I pulled out his single and I held it up to the sky. I started crying. I was like, I need you to help me. I'm bawling my eyes out and look, he did. He helped me through it and ended up running 100 kilometers and I'd, you know, I'd never run a step more than 50 and it was just this really special moment. I still look back at it now like, wow, like what a whirlwind of a few days and but just a special moment and I know he was there and he's always going to be there for me. It's incredible those things that can get you through, isn't it? Like having that and being able to be like, I can pull out this shirt in this at the time, I can imagine it's one of the harder things. Like it's a different kind of hard. Like we've talked earlier on about your how hard and how anguishing it was with your mind, but this is a physical hard. This is completely different. It's it's a new ballpark. It's You can't compare them. They're different. Yeah, and to be able to lean on something like that, something bigger than yourself and something that means so much to pull you through those moments and to know that you can do that whenever you need to, I think is so important. So I'd always listen to music when I run and two weeks before that I decided to pull music out because I'd read a bit, a few things about, you know, just the mental clarity you can find and then I went 13 hours just in my own head and since then I've never put the headphones back in and I think that's what's really like running has really turned me around but that time I get like we live in an age of distractions. Everywhere you go, there's something trying to vie for your attention very quickly, just throwing rubbish at you really. Instagram, think of all the videos we watch and to be fair, like when I scroll through Instagram, I find myself going through the grips of it as well. That's just how we're programmed. But the time I get running, I have nothing and it's just such bliss and I just find myself running through Zen and you just get such clarity. I think that's a problem these days is we have all these things rattling around in our head, but we no longer get the clarity to really think them through and we make incorrect decisions because we're not really present when we're trying to think through them. And I get all this time running just between my ears and it's just – yeah, it's definitely changed me and it's armor-plated my mind just to know that I'm never going to give up. Like there's something burning inside me which wants to be better and can, can do this without any distractions. And, yeah, it's just really helped galvanize my mind to a point where, yeah, I know I'm not going to give up. So what did it look like for you then when you think back to how it was before you ran and the people in your world to then changing you know, it sounds like you made a massive change and sometimes what can happen when we when we pivot or we change directions like that is some of the people that were on our journey with us no longer are or don't want to be or judge or we can't be around them. Did you find that with your relationships? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you definitely lose some people and I think that's just how it works. Like I don't want to use the term outgrow but there's just people you change and, you know, people look at 
who I used to be to who I am now, it's just chalk and cheese and you know, maybe I'm not as fun as I used to be in, in those people's eyes, but I'm having the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I'm not existing. I think that's one thing a lot of us do. We exist, but I live. I live every single day. I live every single second. And yeah, I think you you do change and you, you shouldn't have the same friend group your whole life. I think if you do, then I think there's probably, yeah, there should be people that you're friends with. Maybe there's a select few that stay, but I think if you had the same friend group for a really long time, it's, it's either you or them, something, something's not right because you should change. You know, it's very odd or very rare, I'd say, for people to have a large group of friends from adolescent years to, you know, middle age years. Try telling that to an adolescent. <laughs> I was like, when I was 16 to 18, I'm like, these guys are going to be in my life forever. <laughs> yeah. No, I know exactly how you feel. I had lived in Camden and then we moved out to the city when I was 15 and I had two years left to go in school and I was like, oh, I'm going to be friends with these guys forever. So I traveled. I'd, there was not many people on the train going from Central back to Campbelltown at 6 o'clock in the morning, I'll tell you that much. But I was like, oh, I'll be friends with these people forever. And I think I talked to one or two people from high school. Most of them I wasn't even actually friends with in school. And yeah, it is funny. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Still great memories from school, but just funny. We've spoken about some of the challenge, but let's talk about the challenges that you faced with running and since this change. Like when you look through your running experience, what challenges have you come up against? A big one was sort of recently, like I found myself lucky enough to get in contact with Ned Brockman's running coach and he, he was a massive inspiration for me as well. And it's just sort of sliding doors moments. Like I happened to come into contact with Ned sort of early on in my running career before he'd done anything. Like I was seeing a girl and she was good friends with him. And she's like, oh, do you want to meet a friend of mine? And I was at his house having lunch and he was telling me he was going to run 4,000 kilometers. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, mate. Sure, you can do that. And then he did it, right? Crazy. Very inspiring. And just showing people this massive untapped reservoir of potential. And But I think I was supposed to meet him in that moment, you know. Once I sort of kicked off and had these ideas of, hey, you know, I obviously have some kind of knack for this and Brisbane to Sydney is sort of an idea that came to mind. I was like, well, if you're going to do something like this, you've got to surround yourself with the best people. That's what my mum always taught me, that if you're trying to do something that's very big and extravagant, surround yourself with the best people if you're not really knowledgeable on it. So, And we were training for a while and everything was going really well. And then it was about six weeks out from a race I was doing in South Australia. Got, I don't know, the black plague, the flu. I'm not sure what it was, but I was definitely COVID. ill. No, I, I did a test. It wasn't the V. It wasn't that. I think, I think it was the plague, was honestly. Like, you do know that's the word that everyone would use these days. <laughs> I think it was scurvy or the plague or something. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I was just deathly ill for like five weeks leading up to it. And then so I was flying over to South Australia. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I sort of felt better the day before. The, the morning of the race, I just felt so dog shit like my heart rate was massively elevated I was sweaty I was like body aches and I was like what are you going to do how far were you going to be running so it was a last man standing ultra so you have to run 6.7k every hour and you keep going till you drop pretty much just thought we should clarify that for the audience because they might have been thinking like a 10k run or a 5k run yeah probably probably the worst type of run when you're sick you're going to keep going until you drop so probably a pretty pretty bad one when you're sick and I was like oh look I guess I'll just we're already there so me and mum like she's she's been my crew now for a few ultras and so we had that and then we're doing wine tours after so it was a lot of fun trip but I was like look I guess I'll just see what I can do and so I started off running and I'm doing like 630ks which for me my heart rate should be like maybe 130 and it was like high 170s nearly 180s and I was like oh god we're in for a really bad day here each lap was just getting worse and worse and I didn't think I'd make five laps and I was really trying to use it as a springboard to launch into my run and say hey look this is what I could do to people because apart from that it's just an unknown really like yeah I've done a few things but as a kid going out telling people he's going to run a thousand kilometers yeah yeah sure he is you know look I was still 
really happy that I was able to do 15 hours and I run 102 kilometers, which at the time was the most I'd ever run. And wow. I think that's sort of what reinforced to me that, you know, it's not about this physical game, it's it's mental. And that's when I truly realized that I'm a warrior. And when I put my mind to something that I can go a lot further than I've ever really believed. Yeah. Not that we're recommending anyone goes and does that. Can we be clear? Definitely not. Definitely not. You are the third person I've had on this podcast that I've had to put that disclaimer out there to the audience. All been runners. <laughs> I'm like, do not do what this person does. They sound cool. I might chat to them. <laughs> I'll have to introduce you. <laughs> so what happened after that event? So after that, I had a good detox with my mum over a few days of wine tours in McLaren Valley, South Australia, which is just beautiful. It was, it was really, really nice. But I was a little bit too eager beaver and uh, two days later, I tried to start running again and was fine a little bit and then I definitely aggravated a, a knee issue, an ITB problem. And then that just sort of led into a whirlwind period of I probably lost like when I was sick and then after that I lost maybe three three to nearly four months of training. And I had to really I had to go through things I'd never been to before. Like for me, running was always easy like in quote unquote terms. Like, yeah, it was hard but all I had to do was never give up. That's all it was and that I could I could do that. It was never too strenuous on my body. I was never in too much pain or I couldn't do it. Like had little niggering injuries but it would like very quickly my body would heal within maybe a week or two, a bit of rest, it'd be fine. But that I had to really grind and I had to try and find different ways and just try and work out, okay, mentally, what do you want to do? Like you're, you you can't train now. You've got to fight and you've got to grind. You've got to go back to rehab and do all these things. Do you want to keep putting in the work? And it was really hard at the time. Like I was you know, six or maybe eight months out from telling people I'm going to run a thousand kilometers and you, you're not running. I couldn't run two. And I don't know, call it ignorance or maybe call it arrogance. I'm not sure, but I never doubted myself. Like I remember my mum asking me like, how are, you, how are you going to do this? You're just so far away from that. But I knew it came down to a lot of hard work and I knew I was going to put it in. And, you know, it comes down to, I truly believe this is my destiny, but I, I feel people get caught out with the word destiny and incorrectly assume that destiny is a given or worse yet owed. You know, I, like everyone else, is owed nothing more than 24 hours in each day and it's what we all choose to do in that 24 hours that determines where our destiny lies because you know, destiny isn't given and it sure as hell isn't owed. Like destiny is earned and you've just got to want to keep working for it every single day, every step, every day, every brick you put in that wall, you forge your own destiny. And I just knew I would keep working for it. And it was a really hard period, but I'm really glad I went through it because, you know, if I got into Brisbane or Sydney and you know, midway through it, the wheels fall off and I'm like, oh, what do you mean? This running thing's a piece of cake, right? Like I wouldn't have been mentally equipped to do it. And it was just a different type of training, I guess. Like it wasn't just physical with a lot of mental training and just being able to know I'm going to keep turning up and working and working and I'm really glad I went through it and, you know, it's just helped to galvanise me even more. It's easy to show up when you're winning and things are going well for yourself and for others, but, geez, when the chips are down or you've got to go back to zero to one, you know, showing up in those moments is a true sense of character, I reckon. Yeah, definitely, because it's just so easy to go, well, I tried. You know, I put in a lot of hard work. It's just not for me. That's it. And then you put the warm blanket around yourself and you just go back to your life. But, no, I tried. And, yeah, look, there's a lot of people out there who probably tried, but, you know, I just know I want it. It's hard to explain to people, but, you know, I was lucky that I was able to put into words, like I've got to write a little passage to my trainer, Matty, every day. And I think I had a run, which was like a 5K and it was just shit. You know, my heart rate was really high. It didn't go very well. And I was like, look, Matty, I know this isn't, this doesn't look great, but I promise you I want this more than it's ever going to hurt me. And after I sort of got that little tagline, it stuck with me. And it's something that I tell people. And when I say it to people and they see the look in my eye, when I say it, I think they can understand now, like, 
you know, I'm not trying to quantify ability. I'm not trying to be the best runner in the world, but I want this so badly because I really believe that it can inspire people to want to pursue positive change in their life. And it's not about running a thousand kilometers to do that. It's about wanting to be better than yourself and making a pack just every day to try and be a little bit better and better and better. And from that, go from it. You know, I'm not saying people have to do this massive thing. I just want to inspire people to be better. And it's creating a pathway for people behind you to be like, that's possible. You know, the first time someone ran the four mile, I can't remember in what the speed was, but it had never been done before. Like it had never been done before. And then that moment that it was done, 19 people broke it in the next few weeks. You know, something was impossible to the world then became so possible that everyone else had a crack. And so that's what you're doing is you're creating this kind of ripple effect behind you that for some people that are in a moment that you may have been back a few years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, they're like, oh, I can help also. I can also hop out of this moment or I can find my way out of these dark days. Lockie, you keep talking about this run. What haven't you told us about it yet? 8th of May is when the big dance starts. So we're starting in, in Brisbane City and we're trekking back down to Sydney. So we're looking at the best part of 1,000 kilometres of, of fun. So 1,000 kilometres of fun. So every day I'm looking at trying to do about 105 kilometres so that the last day is about 40 or so. So, you know, you don't want to leave yourself with too much on the last day because if you're trying to tell people to be there and you've got to say, oh, I'll be in this window of 12 hours because I don't really know. So that's the plan of everything for 105 Ks a day, but you just got to be adaptable. Control the controllables, adapt to the variables. Who knows what can go wrong in terms of 13 or so? Who knows hours of running each day? And, you know, it's, it's going to be really hard. But I'm really excited for it because I get to spend all this time, you know, taking every step in the right direction. And I know what it's like taking every step in the wrong direction as well. And, you know, it's so much more than just running for me. It's it's so much more than that. And I mean, it will be. And I know that I'm doing this and it's, it's going to help the, my internal belief, but it's going to help other people. There's people who I know there's going to be, even if it's one, one guy, one girl, anyone, just sits there and go, hey, look at that guy. Look at what he's doing. I want to be better and I want to go and do something and I want to create change in my life and that's what it's all about and that's why I wake up and know I want to train every single day and know I want to work hard for this because I just truly believe that it's going to help a lot of people. And obviously the most important question is, are you coming through Armadale? Uh, I think, yeah, potentially, yeah. I was originally looking at going along the coastline because I thought that would be really nice, but I reached out to Joe Ward. Shout out to him. He has a current record, so I'm coming for him, but he's an amazing guy, amazing old Toronto who has a lot of lot more credentials than I do, and he just recommended going through the country route because the coastal route's a lot hillier and, you know, that's less elevation gain is obviously going to be what you want. So, yeah, I think there's a high chance I probably will be going through there. You going to do some Ks with me or? Longer story there. But when I was doing half irons, we would train in Armadale, which was so hilly, and then go to the coast to compete because we loved how flat it was. And I'm like, I don't know, he might be putting you on a bum steer there. Oh, maybe. I didn't even think about it. I'm just too trusting. Yeah, no worries, mate. <laughs> Sends me off a bridge somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so he's done the run already. He has the current record. So it's 11 days, 7 hours. That's his current record and that's what I'm to beat so you know obviously for me just doing it'll mean a lot but i'm going for the fastest known time that's that's what i'm going for and uh, it's currently held by him so you know i'm coming for him but end of the day you've got to respect someone who's already done something like that 
Yeah. So how can we best support you? So Lockie Cam underscore runs is my Instagram page. And on there, there's a little handle, which has the fundraiser page. And also the biggest thing is, is Heart on My Sleeve and the amazing work they do. They're the charity that I have, have picked and they're just amazing people. And it's just funny how the world works. Like when I was playing rugby, I would always draw a heart on my sleeve. And it's because when I played, it had nothing to do with high skill levels and ability. I'll tell you that much. But I went out there and I just wanted it really badly. And it's funny how the world works. And um, the founder, Mitch Wallace, he was doing a presentation and uh, my mom ended up seeing him and she messaged me and she said, oh, you, you know, you need to see this guy, you need to see his, his stuff. And I watched a video he put online and it just talks about his life and talked about how he's masking. And for someone who'd worn a mask my whole life, it felt like he took it off and was just talking directly to me. And it was just a very moving moment for me because, you know, I've gone through a lot of physical pain and emotional pain in my life. And and it's such a happy place now where, you know, there's not a lot that really makes me cry anymore. Mainly I cry of someone else's pain, like close friends, because I'm a massive empath. But I remember sitting there and watching this video and it's like this person was talking to me and it's like he's seen all these things that I'm hiding and it was just a really, really amazing moment. I'll never forget sitting there and I've watched that video a lot of times and yeah, it's just amazing we've been able to collaborate. So, you know, on top of raising money for them, just the amazing work they do that helps a lot of people. And what is your go-to line or statement or mantra that you have when you're running and you're like, shit's getting hard now? Uh, I used to have a ring, but now I actually have a tattoo on the inside of my wedding ring finger that says, love yourself. Whenever I'm really hurting, whatever I'm shogging, whatever I go, this is really hard. I just, I rub it and I know, hey man, this is what you're doing it for. You know, I know what it's like to not love myself at all and to, to really hate myself and to be spiraling. And, you know, it just, it seems so trivial. And people still ask me, how can you still love running? Like, how can you love it? And I do, you know, every chance I get to strap the shoes on and get out there, I love it. And it's because for me, it's just the simplest form I can think of to just want to keep being better and want to love myself is just to keep moving forward. And yeah, when I struggle, I just, I rub it and so it gets me through those hard moments and then I just want to keep being better. So we're all going to go and get tattoos. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> this is probably a bad time for my mum to find out I have a tattoo on the inside of my finger. She will not like this. Sorry, mum. Sorry. Do you want to know how my mum found out I had a tattoo? I was yes. so nervous about telling her that I went and got a massive Hannah tattoo over my whole back. And I came home and said, Mum, check out my tattoo. And she lost it and freaked out. And I was like, nah, I don't have that one. But I've just got this tiny little one here. And she's oh, like, oh, thank God. That's clever. That is very clever. Yeah. So hopefully my children aren't listening to this, but I definitely got that massive reaction because she thought my whole back was had been tattooed when really I just had this tiny little squashed fairy, we call it. So what I'm taking for that, just let me know if I'm hearing it wrong, you're saying I should go get a face tattoo because then <laughs> yes. the finger tattoo would be nothing. Is that what you're saying? Exactly what page? I'm saying. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cool, and cool, I want to cool. be there when your mum sees you <laughs> with your whole face tattoo. <laughs> I think she'd rip the tattoo and the rest of my face off. But Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Lucky, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we finish, though, it is really important that I ask you who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? Uh, look, I don't want to sound on myself, but myself. I love taking the Mickey out of myself and taking the Mickey out of life. And I just think that's what it's all about, just being completely down earth and humble. And I, I just think that's what we all should do. We should all find the funny moments in our lives and we should all find ourselves funny because we're all funny and we're all amazing. And you know, like I said, don't want to sound on myself, but I, I just love my quirky personality and who I am and I know that I always love myself. We were laughing a lot before we came on and I don't know that we laughed much throughout this whole podcast, but I was like, before we began, I'm like, I'm going to laugh my way, my whole way through this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
We'll laugh when we get off, everyone. Yeah. Lockie, thank you so much. It took us ages to tee up a time. Like, you guys would not believe how many times we've tried to tee this up. And as we said, it's very late on a Friday afternoon. So, thank you for, after your massive work day, coming on to share your story with our listeners. And I know that it's going to help some people out there. No, thank you. I was really honoured to come on and, and be one of the lucky few that gets to share his story on your amazing podcast. And it really means a lot. And like I said, I just hope it can help anyone or as simple as one person. Well, I hope you guys loved that episode. It is such a great illustration of how we can turn our lives around. We may not know how, we may not know when, we may not know who we need in our corner, but it is possible. And, you know, if you're trekking in one direction, it doesn't mean you need to stay on that path. You know, and you don't need to wait for a fork to come up in the road. You can go searching. You can go searching for a bush track that takes you all the way down a different way that you don't know where you're going to end up. But I just love that Lockie was able to share with us today his journey from being in a place where really a self-loathing place and a place that his self-worth was so low that he didn't want to be here anymore. And then he found his thing. It might not be your thing, but it was his thing. That running really fundamentally created a pathway, some building blocks for him to find those stepping stones up and out into a life that he is proud of, that he wants to live. Like he, I think he used the words, I am the best physical and mental form I've ever been in, you know, and that he is never, ever going to stop loving himself again. So I just am calling out to all of you out there that are listening today Maybe just pause once you finish this episode, take stock and just have a think about, you know, how am I showing up for myself? How am I showing up for my loved ones and the people in my life? And is it how I want to show up or is it time for me to find another way? Is it time for me to maybe take that one little step in the direction that I want to go? Maybe it's changing a habit. Maybe it's making a phone call. Maybe it's starting your fitness journey. I know firsthand what it's like to have to start your fitness journey over and over again. And I see it on a daily basis here at Attitude Fitness Armadale. I see people walk through the door that that are so scared to come in because they don't know if they can do it. They don't know if people are going to judge them. They don't know what the trainer is going to ask them to do, but they just show up. They make the call. They step into the zone of, I'm going to give it a crack. And we watch their next 12 months transform into a place that they feel confident and comfortable with all of their training and the impact that that has on their life, the impact that has on their mental health, their self-worth, their relationships with their self and others. So please just, just do that one thing that's right for you today. All right, guys, I will see you next Monday with bells on. I cannot wait. So have a brilliant week and we will see you then. Thank you, everyone, for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. Oh, 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 oh,